So um, we've been like teammates for like a year now, and somehow we haven't done this call before, which is kind of madness. I know it is. It's completely crazy. It's yeah, kind of part of being in that JLL community. There are like so many amazing people. It's just so big and so vast. You never actually talk to half of them, which is crazy. I mean, that's no joke. Like in the US alone, I have so many people that I knew before I came to work there, uh, either by reputation or personally. And now I know them that I'm here. And yeah, it's like, it's just like having a large, uh, you know, work group, you know, just like any other large work group. Some people are going to interact with more than others. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's, yeah, it's kind of knowing so many people going in is brilliant. And that's like completely what attracted me to JLL. But then it's like a completely different world when you actually get here. Like you kind of see all these names like yourself and kind of other people, particularly in the US. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'll be on team schools with them all the time. Like, nope, not really. Well, we've all got our own different divisions and our different projects and stuff. So it kind of makes sense. Stuff would segment out that way. So like, that's why it's good to, you know, intentionally reach out for opportunities like this where I can, you know, talk to you because I remember when you and I first met, I don't know if you remember, but it was at TC19 and you were a Tableau student ambassador. You were like a baby. I completely was. I was, yeah, baby in a very, very big world. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I just remember meeting you and I was, I was really like impressed by you. And this was before I was a Tableau ambassador or visionary or anything. And you were, you know, this really competent, passionate guy. And I was like, that that's a cool guy. Like I wanna I wanna stay in touch with him. I think he's going places. No, thank you. That that really means a lot. It's um yeah, it's been a great journey since then, I think, for, for both of us. Um obviously you've hit great highs in that time, kinda of going from not being an ambassador to getting ambassador later that year and then visionary and was it that year that you started the podcast as well? Yeah, it was actually a couple months later. So we met in November and I started the podcast in January. It was really off of the back of, you know, getting to have those cool conversations that we were just saying we want to have more with our work colleagues, you know, where uh, I was like, oh, I get to meet all these cool people, but I never get to talk to them. And while it's fun to have like, you know, text exchanges and stuff, it lacks a lot of the substance and back and forth of what we're getting to do right now. Yeah, no, completely. No. Yeah, I think it's one of the things that I really noticed at Tableau Conference that year. Kind of, I'd only been using Tableau for about a year, had obviously come across all these really amazing people who are doing amazing things in Tableau that I could only dream of one day being able to do. And then actually being able to meet them face to face and have those proper conversations. It was, yeah, it was amazing. That's that's one of the really cool things. Like, especially when you're new, it can kind of feel very overwhelming. Uh, a lot of people feel like larger than life, even though in my experience, everyone's just folks at the end of the day. We're like, we're all just normal people that like doing what we're doing. And uh, if someone was curious about something, would love to talk about it with them. And uh, it's also cool, the longer you've been doing it, the stuff that at first seemed so like mysterious and like, wow, I can't believe you can do that. You start to understand how it works and then start to come up with your own ideas based off of that. Oh, oh, I could use this concept to express this idea and that sort of thing. Um, so it's really nice to understand that, you know, sort of both personal and uh, skills progression and how it applies uh, both on a personal and, you know, technical level. Yeah, 100%. It's kind of, I owe 
an awful lot to kind of seeing seeing how people develop stuff and kind of that that whole community kind of learning through the community is without a doubt how I've gotten to where I am at the moment. Kind of, yeah. Where you are at the moment geographically is Edinburgh, if I said that correctly at all. Yes, that is correct. And I yeah, think man. that was that was right. <laughs> I have zero confidence in, in pronunciation of Scottish cities. So, you know, that felt like a win. Don't have much more. <laughs> kind of tend to just point on a map and be like, that place. Is it miserably cold in the winter or just cold in the winter? I would say just cold. Um, so we've just kind of come out of a really cold spell for Edinburgh, which was about minus seven Celsius, which... I'm looking this up right now. Hold on. Oh, please. Okay, I can beat this. I can beat this. So I live in an area that's supposed to be very temperate. We very rarely get snow. We were snowed in for an entire week, two weeks ago, and our lowest temperature was negative 19 Celsius in an area that is not ready for that. <laughs> yeah, but it's not fun. <laughs> it really was. My, my insane children kept wanting to go outside. Yeah, they're like, I'm going to go play in the snow. I'm like, I am not joining you. You're on your own. Yeah, because you don't even have like the, the clothes or anything. I mean, not not for the temperature. Like they had some ski pants and stuff to keep them dry. But no, like we don't have that stuff here. Protect yourself against that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, we're not ready for it. Like we're now our summers. Hold on. Uh, can often hit uh, 38 degrees Celsius. So that's what we really have to prepare for. Yeah, I think we had a. A week last year of about 25 to 30 degrees, which felt horrendous. But yeah, I'm not sure how I'd cope with 38. This has been Weather Talk with Zach and Chris. Smash that like button, subscribe, you know. <laughs> but uh, I was checking out your Tableau uh, public portfolio since I, I'm woefully bad at like keeping track with what people have been up to on an individual basis. You know, you kind of see stuff come through your feed on Tableau public or social media. But I didn't realize you were up to 90 visas at this point, which is a lot. Yeah, it is. It's been taking a while to to get there. Um, I think I did have a load of Workout Wednesdays in there as well, which I've since hidden into the background. So I think when you add those in, it's more like 120, 130. But yeah, it's it's obviously not like crazy, crazy numbers. There's often several months in between stuff, but... So you've stripped yeah, out sort of your training exercises in favor of projects where you were wanting to explore, say something. Yeah, completely. I was finding kind of as I was scrolling through other people's public profiles, it's kind of more interesting to see their creativity in there than just them kind of recreating these challenges, challenges which are great in and of themselves. And I could see that, like with Workout Wednesday specifically, because you're recreating something that already exists versus like a Makeover Monday or a Back to Viz Basics where the data might be the same, but you're expressing it in a different way. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, yeah, kind of where's the, the joy almost in having your own portfolio that's just got recreations of everybody else's work. It kind of doesn't demonstrate what you can do in that kind of purest light. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because, you know, you've got your work product at work where it's a different animal, right? Like 
there's client expectations, there's visual standards that you're trying to meet and those kinds of things. But with your own personal stuff, you're, the only limitation is you and your creativity and the tech. Yeah, 100%. You know, most of the stuff that you put on, that anyone puts on Tableau Public, you're just not going to be able to get away with doing at work. It's kind of work is reserved very much to bar charts, um, line charts. I think even scatter plots sometimes are a bit frowned upon. Whereas having this kind of ability to just be creative with something and do something a bit more out there is amazing. I think, you know, it with work product, a lot of the times you're trying to scale to your audience, right? Like you, you might know some of the people you're trying to rise to the level where they are and also maybe nudge them a little bit to a little more insight. But that means there's a lot of chart types. I always think of like box and whisker, like where oftentimes I look at it and it takes me an extra minute to understand it. And I know if I struggle with that, that my typical user, uh, unless like this is their thing is probably also going to have trouble with yeah completely i mean you need to make it understandable for for your audience and if that audience is literally just looking to to read off a number and not really invest that time into the bigger picture of the analysis it's it's just going to be completely wasted time and visual real estate yeah, um, I think that's one of the great dilemmas with data visualization. Like we, we have a lot of power that we can wield and making sure that it's doing the best for your particular user or your particular concept. Like when we are making our own personal projects online, the audience is basically our audience, whoever we're connected with there, or maybe whoever we aspirationally would like to reach, right? Like I know a lot of times I make stuff that doesn't have a lot of the interactivity because I'm wanting to make stuff that lay people might enjoy where I'm talking about Marvel movies and stuff like that. Um, but like, what was I going to say? Um, but yeah, like with work stuff, it's, it's a very specific goal and a very specific audience I'm going to talk to. Yeah, completely. I, I find a lot of the time with personal things, I'm kind of just doing it for, for myself. It's sort of not even with a specific audience in mind. I feel like, Within the community, the Tableau community anyway, um, there doesn't seem to be the huge appetite for rugby data viz, which is kind of 80% of my portfolio. Um, but I, I enjoy it. I get a lot from it. And, you know, it's, it's kind of there for me and for my learning and kind of developing those techniques and just scratching that creative itch, I guess. I get that. And I, I want to bet that a lot of the ideas that you pick up there by experimenting a little bit, you probably find applications that are more functional and practical in your work life. At the very least, by doing so many visualizations, you're gaining speed. But beyond that, you've probably gained some technical tricks that have helped make your life easier. Uh, when you have that, you know, I like to call it like the 20 minute drill where someone has an absolute emergency and they need to know a thing really quickly. Um, that stuff really helps out. Yeah, definitely. Kind of getting to know Tableau in those kind of extreme use cases where it's maybe not even what it's intended to be used for um, does really help when you then scale it back to, say, a bar chart, just looking yeah, for that one number. Yeah. So uh, let's talk IronViz. IronViz. <laughs> um, so how are you feeling? Um, feeling good. It's... Yeah, been a crazy couple of weeks. Um, kind of that that news comes out. Um, 
kind of here. So I, I heard a couple of days before the announcement that I was a, a finalist for IronBiz this year, and it's kind of, is this a, a scam? Is this a practical joke that someone's trying to play on me? Um, but no, it obviously takes some time to settle in and realize that this is real and actually happening. But yeah, it's great. Really, really excited. Really looking forward to it. So when you decide, first of all, is this the first time that you've entered? Uh, this is the fifth time that I've entered. Um, yeah, first time that I entered, feeling like I could potentially end up on stage. Um, last year I was in the top five for the Europe region, um, which felt incredible and was completely unexpected. And it was sort of when I when I got that that achievement that I realized that maybe being on stage at Tableau Conference wasn't a hundred miles away. Um, yeah. Well, now it's definitely not. No, and that's that's kind of equal parts exciting and terrifying. <laughs> kind of what what have I done? <laughs> I mean, you're you're going to do fine, first of all, and second, you're fortunate to come from a pedigree of many uh, many consecutive uh, contestants that have come from JLL, and the worst you can do is do as well as they did. Oh, completely. Yeah, I mean, even just in my kind of direct team, I've got Simon Beaumont and Alex Jones, who are obviously in the same final together. Um, yeah, and we're on calls every day. We've got CJ Mays, not not that far away as well. Yeah, it's great to have that support network and kind of people to go to to ask for, for help and advice and kind of all those thoughts that come into your, your mind kind of as you approach something like this it's really useful to have people who have been there before and can kind of guide you through it i mean we've had uh, in addition we had Brittany rose now who can way back in 2019 year we met hashem would co-win so look i mean he won but it was a co-win so since then we've had plenty of colleagues that have gone, have not walked away with that honestly the pressure from perspective is pretty low but on you know being on stage i understand it's going to be bright lights it's going to be loud noise it's going to be andy cockreave and noxious it's a lot going yeah absolutely that's kind of a, a spotlight that i naturally shy away from very much it's kind of my comfort zone is like here somewhere and then that's like way over there it's which is understandable because people that do what we are very comfortable hanging out behind us uh, our profession, putting themselves, I get it, going in the iron biz, a lot of people would like top 10 or actually win it, but the reality show can feel daunting. So have you actually talked with any peers preparing minds? Um, not not a huge amount, obviously. Um, Simon and Alex, when they were, they were there, it was a virtual year for iron biz, so they when actually having to be on stage in front of everyone. And yeah, I feel like CJ just has that that natural kind of extrovertedness just built in. Um, yeah, pu public speaking is something that I said kind of six months to a year ago that I really wanted to improve on. And I guess this is kind of just forcing me into getting really comfortable with that really quickly. If I had a tip, this is merely from an observer's perspective, not someone that has been I this given about what you make just as important. So I've seen people that made really well, which might not have been as polished. And I've seen back in 2019, I think that Josh Smith ended up tying because of the quality of, 
I think this might not have been just at the same level as a couple of contestants. Um, but I think each really brought it all together. And that's not a criticism. I'm a huge admirer of, but I think it's sort of a co-presentation because very rarely um, when we create something, do we get to stand next to it and actually say something about it? And this is one of the few cases we're not able to, you're expected to, and that's going to factor perception. So you get to make something, you then get to add an extra layer. Think about it as like a semantic layer or an overlay where you're able to actually go in, give them little contact. Yeah, I think you're completely right. It's a huge part of it. And kind of, you know, the three parts of Ironbiz being design analysis and storytelling, being able to actually verbally tell that story is is a huge part of it. And it maybe takes some of the pressure off the the viz itself. Um, yeah, definitely need to practice that that three I, minutes I, a lot. I, I think you'll do well. I think I think you're very thoughtful. I think you're clever. And I also think that while obviously design is not addressed, you know, that's very visual. Storytelling is part of it. And the analysis express some of the things you found that didn't be a visual express, things that uh, you found that were bad data or erroneous or things like that in there that might not necessarily have a distract from but it gives you an opportunity to demonstrate some of the thought process went into it. For sure. And that's that's something that I really do like having the the opportunity to do. I feel like even just with my my feeder, there were kind of loads of stories through the data that I used for that, kind of looking at global hunger levels in different in different countries and kind of just the little stories that I was finding that I wasn't able to pull out and address in that format. But things like the hunger situation in a country like Madagascar, where it's the highest level of undernourishment in the world. But then when you look at their GDP, they're slightly too well off to get any help with it at all. And it's kind of, yeah, being able to tell that verbal story to highlight that without having to make the whole visualization about that one thing. That's that's a really clever use of the data to tell. I know it's very easy to find stories within things, um, you know, it, like become a rabbit that you chase. Um, and sometimes that may be the way, something, especially when it's like a personal project. When it's a work thing, it's usually you're needing to express a cons, you know, a, like a big idea, the sub idea, the side, but very rarely do you get, hey, look what I discovered about Madagascar, <laughs> unless it's, you know, a specific ask where research score tell me yeah completely and sort of having that that freedom is is really nice and that's one of the things that i kind of wanted to empower people to do with my feed of is was to find those stories for themselves and i guess that's kind of another point where the focus in the the final changes because you know, there isn't the opportunity for people to go and dive into the viz and kind of you don't get points from the judges for how easy it was for them to dive into the data and find their own stories. It's just a different way of approaching it. Yeah, and I think um, in terms of Iron Biz presentation go well. Uh, usually interactivity uh, plays a big role um, in the sense that you present something and then you maybe go a level, you transform it, and that catches. I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about sort of different levels of granularity or think of it about different resolution. You're going from like a, like maybe a low resolution, high value, high resolution, you know, that kind of so finding, you know, ways to 
progress the story. I almost think about like uh, Amazon has their comiXology app, and I read a lot of comics. And you can view it as an entire page, which is how we do a dash of a panel view, where you double click on a panel, and it'll just show that one panel in the page. And then it transitions from panel to panel, which is almost better for attention and also suspense. Because when you entire page at once, sort of look ahead and see, but when you're going one at a time, or alternative, maybe on the page turn, there's something unexpected that hits you page. So that's one of the things that interactivity allows. We typically don't get to leverage or working those content. Yeah, completely. Kind of thinking about the the final last year and how all three contestants there utilized kind of pages or parameters or stories. Um, I think Brittany used a story. Um, kind of having that slow reveal really helps keep people's attention on what you want them to be looking at at that specific moment. And yeah, avoiding the kind of fancy chart or bright color, just taking away that attention. Yeah, I was I was kind of impressed by her choice to use stories because I haven't actually really stories like in a way that I ever worked. I thought hers were, I think the only time I had seen back at a previous gym place, someone for their sort of interview, their technical view, rather than a dashboard out of the data we can create. A and I didn't think it worked very well. Um, and I sort of wondered oh, how to build it. You could have built like a really done all the same stuff. Sure. Yeah, completely. Yeah, stories isn't something that I've ever, ever touched. I don't think. I think when I first opened up Tableau, um, somebody was giving me a, a quick demo of it and kind of pointed to the, the new worksheet button and said, this is how you create a new worksheet. The new dashboard button is how you create a new dashboard and don't click this one. Kind of just just don't don't go there. You won't need stories kind of in your your day-to-day -day use of Tableau. Maybe we're missing a trick there. We, we may be, honestly. I think there's so many, maybe we don't in our day to great uh, highly effective because I, I sort of never discount a feature wholeheartedly like this thing's never going to pay off like i think paging exists and i think we've had a lot of fun with it but i don't know if i've ever seen it used really well in business sense so what has you excited about data right now i i know like after um, finding out in viz you're probably dealing with a lot more nerves than just flat out excitement but um obviously you enjoy uh, visualizing a lot of rugby is that your favorite it definitely is it's kind of how i found my way into data in the first place. Um, kind of where my whole career and I guess life in a large extent has has come from. Um, yeah, when I was younger, I used to to watch um, the, had a DVD that was a review of the 2003 Rugby World Cup. And I used to sit and watch it, just had highlights from every game in the World Cup. And I'd be sat there with a notepad and a pen writing down kind of everyone who scored, everyone who who passed to to another player, and just making all of these tables and then eventually turning these into into charts. And that was kind of me as a, a ten year old. I'm I'll admit I, I've seen rugby, I've never actually watched a rugby man. I'm mostly ignorant to it. It looks a lot like American football, just more violent because there's no pads. <laughs> I think that's a very accurate way of looking at it. Um, also less kind of stop-start kind of. I've, Makes I've never really Makes watched sense. American football, but yeah, kind of a passage of play in rugby could be up to kind of five, ten minutes of just smashing into people, essentially. So it's a lot more endurance-based, like 
football slash soccer, depending on which country is listening to them. Yeah, American football, not only are there lots of stop starts because we do plays or, you know, you you do the play and then you reset and you start over with your two lines for me. It's very much like, like, I think World War One battlefields where there's been battle lines that have been drawn. So you're resetting to that, just a different placement. Um, but yeah, in addition to that, you have also have both offense and defense as two different sets within the team. So, you know, rather than a player playing both offense and defense as you, American soccer slash everyone else's football, um, players are specialized to their specific role. So the person that's hunter slash kicker, this is their specialty. They're amazing at this one thing. Like they might not be great at anything, else, but they can kick a field goal 60. That That's actually, um, but yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, a similar sort of idea in rugby as well, which is where you get kind of the, you, you have forwards and, and backs, forwards who kind of look like tanks and are built like brick walls um, and are literally just there to to hit people as hard as they can. And then the backs are just fast more than anything else, I think. So are you a supporter of your local team or do you have a uh, team that you've always uh, followed? So I grew up in the south of England um, in Gloucester um, and used to go and watch Gloucester rugby play every every other week, um, which, yeah, I feel like I'm a long way from that now. Um, being a, an Englishman in Scotland definitely has its interesting points. Um, it's uh, Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's all good fun. It's been interesting to me. I recently I've got really in the television show Welcome to Wrexham, which followed Wrexham Football Club, which uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney bought a few years. They recently promoted up to the premiere that they've been trying to several times. Um, so like learning about how the British Premier League soccer system worked and everything was fascinating. Uh, within the American system, like you can essentially be eliminated from going to the playoffs a lot earlier in the season. And the rest of the season is just like, why? I guess we keep playing, you know, whereas it actually seems like there's some consequence even late in the season, perhaps for teams that aren't or aren't at risk. Yeah, completely. It's kind of there's there's always something to to play to play for. Um, and it feels like teams are quite, quite evenly split a lot of the time. It's kind of rare that you'd have one one team just goes out and wins every every game. Um, yeah, so it does keep that competition going the whole way through. I think one of the things that was realized is just how many stadiums and sort of football throughout England, because from my perspective, England is so incredibly small. Like for perspective, I live in one of 50 states and I'm at the tip of it. And to get all the way to the other side of my state, if I'm driving at 80 miles an hour, uh, which is pretty darn fast, takes about nine hours, nine and a half hours, which you could transverse vertically all of England in that time. But within that, I would have passed like a dozen significant football clubs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. Absolutely. I think even in, in Edinburgh, we've got two two premier football clubs and just opposite sides of the city. And there's like a half hour walk between the stadiums. That's so crazy to me. Like, I, in my city, we're a mid-tier, lower mid-tier UA, um, and we have NBA franchise uh, and a minor league baseball. At one point, the Titans played here for a few years before they moved to Nashville, sort of on their way through. But yeah, it's it's fascinating how, you know, I, I guess in many ways, we're not that dissimilar to some of the smaller football clubs that have a, you know, sort of smaller fan base. And that's, we have the, the Memphis Grizzlies, which I, I should note, you don't have this context. 
but there is not a grizzly bear for hundreds of miles. Like we do not live in an area that has this animal. So much like, you know, Utah jazz, like the, the Mormons are not known as the most jazzy, but like many times our sports teams names dramatically miss a, like the Los Angeles Laker. There are no lakes in Los Angeles. It's basically the desert rammed into the ocean. So, so many of our team names comically misaligned with the geography. I, I guess we kind of have that in, in rugby as well. We've got kind of sales shocks, like it's in Manchester. They're based in like the very center of England. There are no shocks there. Um, yeah. It's, it's strange, and you kind of wonder where these things come from. Is it just because it's a big, scary animal that I mean, attracts attention? In our case, many of the times, these teams get traded and moved around, like someone sells the brand and it moves somewhere, uh, which is how the Grizzlies here, uh, uh, we, we got an NBA team. And it's ironic, we have two empty stadiums in our town. Uh, we had one that was the Coliseum, which we the pyramid, um, which is which is sort of our iconic landmark in this. But when we got an NBA franchise, NBA said there aren't enough skyboxes, so you have to build a new stadium for us. So then we had an abandoned stadium that looked a pyramid downtown, in a way. And then of all things, the Bass Pro Shop Company, which is bought pyramid and made it up, which everyone thought was an absence actually. Like if you go inside, outside, like in a bayou or something, which is also weird because we don't live in a swamp, but you know. <laughs> That's brilliant. I like that. I was, um, I was in Canada several summers ago and kind of got introduced to Bass Pro Shops there and just the, the vastness of them. Um, yeah, I can totally see how kind of refitting a, a stadium to fit that purpose would totally work. It was a bizarre stadium because it's a pyramid, right? So like, obviously be down, sunken down so you can have your bleed going down. But the shape of the building, it's weird, much like you've got the with the sphere in Las Vegas shape. So they're like, what are we going to do with all? So the upper half of hotel, but it's not like they sealed it off. It's a hotel that wraps around the outside rather than filling the space. So it's a hotel full of balconies that look down in center. And then they erected, I think it, it's not globally, but in the United States, the largest freestanding elevator that goes straight up to the very top of the pyramid. And they have an observation deck around the outs and go out uh, with glass floors, which I'm not. Mm -hmm. That's a bit, bit scary. <laughs> glass floors require a little too much trust for me. Like I'm, I'm not quite there. Nope, def definitely not. So yeah, not, not one for me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Chris, it's been uh, fantastic and talking about where we've both been forward to, although uh, be harried, you know, quite, quite the mini celeb there. It's going to be really exciting. Um, is there anything you want to shout out or promote before we wrap up today? Um, is there anything? I'm actually not sure that there is. I feel like I've been so head down on, on Ironbiz for, for a few weeks and kind of other, other things in life have been kind of almost quite out of the, the data, the data sphere. Um, yeah, I nothing springing to mind. Well, whatever we can do to help you uh, survive the inevitable burnout that's coming up up for everything, and you know, just know that you've got friends out there that support you. That enjoy. yeah, lean, lean on that during this time, and you know, look forward to the experience you're going to have. It's not going to be like your other conference experience, but it's definitely going to be something to remember. And uh, at the very least, look back on it. Feel no, absolutely. I'm yeah, really, really excited to to be kind of at this this point and yeah without the kind of support of so many people within the tableau community and beyond i definitely wouldn't be here and i do owe those people a, an awful lot 
Fantastic. So everybody check out Chris's Tableau Public Portfolio. A lot of rugby, but a lot of cool design. So if you're to either of your alley or uh, Chris, I look forward to seeing you there, man. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, Luck. Really look forward to seeing you as well.